What an awesome morning to be together and celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's give it up to Him. It's all about Him at Fox Valley Church. And of course, we have a lot going on as you can see. And I recognize that with a new series, I want to just bring in a line is just as Pastor Brad said a moment ago, is we need to bring all of ourselves in alignment. Now this happens at the individual level, which we're going to talk about, but it also happens at the church level, that we all need to be aligned with the plans and purposes of Jesus Christ. And as I like to say at Fox Valley Church, right, when we surrender our time, treasures, and talents, hopes and dreams to the plans and purposes of life of Jesus Christ, there is no better life. So let me just say it the other way. There's no better life on this side of glory before we get to be with Jesus. There's no better life than to surrender all of your time, treasures, and talents, hopes, and dreams to the plans and purposes of Jesus Christ. And that's where we want to press into this morning. Now, as we think about this, right, we we recognize that in this world, there are a lot of distractions and distortions. In fact, there was a study not too long ago about the number of distractions that are going on in the workplace. In fact, it's something like this, that 77 times in one week, you will be distracted from your job at work. You'll get something on your cell phone, maybe a personal text, maybe an email, and you'll check that. Maybe you'll find a tweet coming through, right? All of this tends to distract us, right? Or you're starting to think about home and some of the things that are going on and what our children need or what might be happening with our children at home because you're at work and maybe you've got to check the cameras of what's going on at home, right? All of these are distractions. And then companies like to have meetings and meetings tend to distract people from what they're doing. Do you know in the same study where we're told that we're being distracted 77 times per week with all of these different things, it takes 23 three minutes to get back to where you were before the distraction. And I think we all can recognize that. Maybe it doesn't take all of us 23 minutes, but it takes us time to dive back to some of the deep things that we were doing before. But it's not only that we're distracted, what concerns me as well is that there's a number of distortions going on. Now, I'm not concerned about the world at large right now. I'm concerned about the distortions that are happening in the churches right now. But let's even be a little more specific, the evangelical churches, those churches that name the name of Jesus, that profess the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, there was a study done a year ago January. It was done by Ligonier Ministries. It was done by also Lifeway Research. And they combined and they looked at all these different questions that were going on in the evangelical church. An amazing survey. And here's what I just wanted to bring to your attention. This survey is so accurate it's within less than 2% of the numbers I'm going to give you. So the question on the table was, uh, is Jesus the only way to God? 67% of evangelicals said 
that Jesus is not the only way to God. Do you understand the growing number of that? Do you know what Pastor Brad just said about last week? That Easter doesn't matter if Jesus is not the only way. What happened on Good Friday when we come together and recognize with a, a, a severity of our souls and a solemnness of our hearts that we have sinned against a holy God? Like, if Jesus isn't the only way, the cross was a waste of time. And the resurrection is really useless. And Jesus Christ, through the Apostle Paul, reminds us that if the resurrection didn't happen, we are the people that should be most pitied because it would all be useless, right? I'm just thinking of 1 Corinthians 15. Secondly, Jesus was created by God. This is amazing. 55%, over half of the evangelicals said that Jesus was created by God. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Godhead. He is the one, right, that is there with God, the Trinity. He is God Himself. He is not a created being. Yes, He became flesh, but that's way different than talking about Him being a created being, right? It says that he was God who became flesh. So as I like to say at Fox LA Church, Jesus is as much God as if he was never man, and he's as much man as if he was never God. He is truly the God-man. Here was one, Jesus is not God, that plays into what I just said. 43% affirmed that Jesus was just a good teacher, he was not God. Amazing where the church has drifted. The Holy Spirit is not a personal being. Like the Holy Spirit slipped out of the Godhead. He slipped away from the Trinity and He's just a force. This was at 60%. I hope nobody answered these surveys in Fox Valley Church because Jesus is fully God, fully man. He's not a created being. He, this Holy Spirit is a person. Let me hit the last one. Humans are not sinful by nature. 68% agreed to that statement. And here's what they followed up on the researchers. Everyone is a little sinful, but most people are good by nature. Now, we do like to think positive things, and we do like to think people are good, but let's not have some pretense here that we do not need a Savior. We are rebellious against God. We are treasonous against His kingdom and they say it so often, by nature and by choice. We have rebelled. We have sinned against God. But let's go a little deeper as we think about a line because we are wanting to seek those things that matter most. Right? At the end of the day, Jesus, when He returns, and He is returning, amen? amen. And I say often at Fox Valley Church, how's He coming back as king and judge. So when he comes back, he's not going to say, hey, would you show me your portfolio? I promise you he's not. He's not going to come back and say, hey, would you give me a tour of your fine house? Not that that's bad. Not that a portfolio is bad. These are all good things. But when we talk about the seeking of things that matter most, I think we'd all recognize it's got to press in a very different direction. So last week, we were looking at the events of the morning, right? Resurrection morning, the risen Christ. 
This morning, I want to look at the events of the evening. If you have your Bible with you or a device, as you know, I love for us to be able to see the Word of God and dial into exactly what God has given us so that we can maybe when we go home reflect on it because you've seen it and we're using more of our senses, we're using our hearing, but when we look at our device, when we look at our Bible, we're using our eyes, maybe you can feel it. You can sense it in other ways. But if you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand? John chapter 20, verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both of his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, also I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been forgiven retained. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at this this morning, would you knit our hearts together with yours? Allow us to hear your voice through the power of your spirit. Make alive, God, these words so that when we leave this morning, we leave changed. Changed women, changed men, changed students, changed children that are here. God, that you would do an amazing work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you may grab a seat as, as we look at this this morning. I want to uh, bring us into a couple things. And here's the first idea I'd like to bring is that Jesus reveals the way of shalom, right? Shalom is, is the word I want to use because if I use peace, sometimes we just think about the absence of war, right? We, we just think of, well, that's peace. But what we really want to talk about is this sense of shalom. Now, you remember those famous words on the cross. Jesus is hanging there. He's in his last gasping breaths. And he utters those famous words, it is finished. Now, he comes back to his disciples and he says, shalom. What an amazing thing to put those things together. Because as we recognize those words, it is finished, we recognize that Jesus accomplished all that the Father had given him to do. And what Jesus was accomplishing on the cross, primarily, let's look at it theologically, let's look at how the Bible talks about it, he was paying for your sin and my sin. Jesus Christ was on that cross to deal with our rebellion against God, but let's be honest, our selfishness towards people we love. We can be in a family and we can be selfish, self-centered, harsh, bitter, angry towards them and do mean things. And Jesus died on the cross for those. So when he said it was finished, he paid in full. Now, as you know, because I've said this on numerous occasions, the number one problem in this world is not war. 
It's not politics. It's not poverty. It's not disease. All those things are terrible. But the number one problem we have as human beings is that the wrath of God is being poured out on sinful people. And when God is furious, let me tell you, He gets furious. So when Jesus says, it is finished, He stepped between the fury of God and us and said, I'm taking care of it. You are now able to have shalom with God. I mean, just amazing to think about this as we wrestle with it. But let's go back into the verse just for a moment. I want to make sure that we all see what I'm seeing and reading. We're talking about evening on that first day, the first day of the week, what we call Resurrection Sunday. It's now evening, and look what's happening. The doors were shut. They were locked because the disciples were fearful. They were lacking shalom. They were stressed out They didn't know where things were going, and they weren't really sure of all the testimony they had begun to hear through Mary Magdalene. So they're living in this fear. And Jesus, right, he comes into this room. I mean, you can only imagine how he got in, right? The windows are probably locked, the doors are locked, everything's sealed, and Jesus comes in there. Like, did he just walk through the wall? Did he just slip through a crack in the door? I don't know. You can imagine all you want with that as well. But Jesus stood, it says, in their midst. And what does he say to them? He says, Shalom. Shalom. I, I think it's just amazing to pause on that word. Because it's a word that brings together just, just, just a few ideas that our English word peace does not grasp. When we use the word shalom, and we get this when you read the Old Testament in Greek, we call it the Septuagint. When you read that in Greek, and, and they use the same Greek word as peace that we get translated, but standing behind it in the Hebrew is the word shalom. Shalom. And it it has this idea of of harmony. Harmony in relationship that becomes significant. It it brings together wholeness. Like like our lives are fractured. And Jesus is saying, I'm bringing wholeness now. And then let's just wrap in one more word, well-being. Right? Things are going well. Now, I like to use periodically the word flourishing. Because that's a word that we would use today. You read about flourishing things. This idea of shalom is the ability for us to flourish because it is finished at the cross and the resurrection demonstrates it. We can now flourish if, if we align ourselves with the plans and purposes of Jesus Christ. And that is one of the big challenges of life. But let's just look a little further. Jesus says shalom, and then he shows them his hands and his side. No wonder he could say it is finished, right? And the disciples did what you and I do. We rejoice in the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. And we need to celebrate that in a major way. So let me bring us into what I want to bring us to a point of, and that is this, that Jesus is really wholeheartedly the only way to find 
shalom. Now, I'm going to tell you a secret about life. You probably know this, but just in case you don't, it's important for us all to think the same way. And here's what I want to say. If you seek peace, you will never find it. This is just the same thing about all of life. You seek happiness, you'll never find it. It's elusive. It slips away from you. You go after joy, you'll never find it. Oh, you might get a measure of joy. You might get a measure of happiness. You might get a measure of peace. But you'll never find the depth of what Jesus wanted to bring. But if you seek Jesus, guess what you get? You get shalom. If you seek Jesus, you get joy. If you seek Jesus, you get happiness. All of these things are wrapped into the person of Jesus Christ. And so I want to just make sure that when we think about this idea of, dis, of, of distraction and distortions, that we've got to know who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what he wants to do in our lives. Now, Jesus was, or in the Gospel of John, Jesus talked a lot about peace or about shalom. In the upper room in particular, we see Jesus bringing out some of the deepest points of this. So in John chapter 14, we don't need to turn there, but it, just let me read a couple verses. It says, when the helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, the one who's going to come alongside us, the one who will be here after Jesus leaves, right? He says, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you into remembrance all that I said to you. And then listen to this, Shalom I leave with you. My shalom I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Right? Again, in the upper room, John 16, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have shalom. This well-being, this harmony, this, this, this beautiful sense of flourishing that can only be found in Jesus Christ. In the world, you'll have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So let's bring us back to our ideas of distraction and uh, distortion. So as I think about distraction, you may think foolishly, like I think foolishly, that if I only had, and just fill in the blank, everything would be okay. I would have shalom. I mean, come on. If I just had a little more money, then I could live in shalom. If I could just have kids that would obey me, then I could have shalom. If I could just not have cancer, I would have shalom. If I could just have health like this person, or now we're comparison, comparing, right? Then I would be happy. If I didn't have, right? We all have this if only. And we play it in our head, and it's a deception. It's a distraction. But if we have Jesus, it doesn't matter whether you have money or no money. If you have Jesus, it doesn't matter about all these other things that we chase after in the world because it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus, right? And so we need to be constantly looking not at what we don't have, but that we have Jesus. I received a text this week of this very message, don't focus on what you don't have. And this morning, we're recognizing we need to focus on Jesus. 
what has he called us to do and what is he about but let's talk about distortion here's where we begin to distort the truth i do it and you do it and we got to resist it that's why we come to church that's why we get in small groups that's why we have brothers and sisters around us and here's what i mean if god really loved me then my spouse wouldn't act this way or I wouldn't have a hard marriage or a difficult marriage or a broken marriage. If God was really good, my baby would have lived. If God was really good, then I wouldn't have this cancer or this disease, right? Those are distortions of truth. God loves you and he loves to love you and it has nothing to do with circumstances or what's going on in the world or in your life. He just looks at you and he says, I am so fond of you because of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's amazing. God's goodness isn't going to change based on the world collapsing. God is a good God. He is infinitely good, and He's always doing good, and we need to receive His goodness. If God really cared for me, well, let me tell you, God is caring for you. He is directing your steps, and the more we align with Him, the more we will experience it as well. And then we can go on and on. But if we seek Jesus in all these things, guess what happens? The distractions begin to fall away and the distortions begin to get smaller. We need to be seeking Jesus. Now, let's dig a little deeper back into this passage because he's going to tell us something and he's going to link it together. What he does is, secondly, Jesus reveals the way of shalom. As Jesus was sent, he sends us right so jesus sent us as jesus was sent my second point is this is that he sends us jesus was sent by the father jesus sends us now let's look a little deeper into the passage just for a moment we look and jesus said to them again he's bringing back this idea of what of shalom shalom And then look what he does. He links it to being sent. Now, you know and I know that in every gospel, there is a sending that takes place. Every gospel. Matthew writes about Jesus sending us. Mark, Luke, they all send. And here Jesus is saying it. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And he links that with flourishing. You and I will flourish when we are aligned with the sending of Jesus Christ. Now, I know what you're thinking. Because I was thinking this. I was thinking, what does it mean that the Father sent the Son? What, what, What does that, what did the Father send Jesus to do? And so I want to put this together for you. And I think this will help a little bit. Jesus, first of all, when you read the Gospel of John, was always obedient. He always obeyed the Father. He constantly listened to the voice of the Father. You read John chapter 5, verses 19 to 30. Read John chapter 8, verse 29. And you're going to see that Jesus was obedient. And he was aligning his disciples with that obedience. Now, remember Jesus in the upper room. So that was just three nights before the night 
here, right? So you got to go back to Thursday night. They have the Passover meal, and Jesus prays this amazing prayer. We find it in John 17, and what's he praying? He's praying for disciples. He's praying that the disciples' disciples, which means you and me, right? They're praying that we would be unified. We'd be aligned with what Jesus is doing. And you can read that prayer. But here's where we go, is as we read the Gospel of John, we see here in the second phrase, with his own being with him, Jesus being sent, his own being sent by the Father. Remember, I've got John 3.17 here, but you know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But verse 17, hardly anyone knows. And what's it say? It says that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so what we begin to see is that if we're going to align with Jesus and the things that really matter, we need to see that Jesus came to bring a message called the gospel to deliver people from their sin. By means, here's how he did it, by becoming fully human. John 1.14, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us, right? The word, Jesus Christ, became flesh and he dwelt among rebellious, sinful people with the purpose of saving people from their sin. John 1.29, worthy is the lamb who was slain, right? Remember John the Baptist, here's the son and he says, here's the lamb. But now his disciples no longer belong to the world. John 15, 19. Do you know that? You and I, we don't belong to this world. This is not our home. Don't get too comfortable here. As I've been reminded all my life by all my mentors, wear the cloak of materialism very loosely. This is not our home. Enjoy it, but always give thanks to God richly enjoy all that God has enjoyed, given us to enjoy, whether it's nice house, good clothes, good friendships, fine food, travel, all of these things. But don't get too drawn in. Then he says in John 20, 21, rather they are being sent out into the world, right? We don't belong to the world, but Jesus sends us into the world to testify to the resurrected Christ by the power of of the Holy Spirit. And so, as we look at this this morning, I want us to be mindful that it is about Jesus. He sent us, and then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the power by which we do it all. And then he says this very cryptic statement. Let me just comment briefly on it. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. What's he trying to say? Jesus was an itinerant preacher. He preached about the forgiveness. If you notice this perfect tense, passive, he's talking about God is the one who does the forgiving. What he's talking about us is us bringing a message of forgiveness to the world and God will do it. And if they will not receive the forgiveness, they're going to be stuck in their sins and they will be retained in their sins. So they have a choice and light for the future is all about choice. Light for the future, and I want to turn there now, is look at this area of why I am so excited and why we have been doing it. First of all, Jesus said that 
You and I are the light to this world. Jesus said, first of all, I am the light of the world. And then in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you and I are the light of the world. Well, here's what it says in Isaiah 58.10, right? It says this, it says, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will shine in the darkness. You see, we have work to do because we have a community around us. Some of us have unsaved people, people that are far from God in our homes, in our families, sometimes it's children. And God is saying, if you do this, then your light will shine. And that is what's been driving us for light for the future. But as we think about Isaiah, I want to just take a moment because there's so many people that forget, like myself, some newer people that never heard this. Where have we been? So let me bring us back into this. First of all, you heard Pastor Brad talk about the property just east of us. So it's to my right, your left, as you're looking at me. That property, we bought that in December 2018. Just that was a huge miracle. We had a a contract on that property, which was called a first right of refusal, which simply meant if someone tried to buy it, negotiated the price, we had the opportunity to get the property from them. And we exercised that right. We found out that it was being purchased by some ruthless guy that was going to take the... No. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So we find out, we bring it to the congregation, the members vote on it, and almost unanimously said, we got to grab that property. God's been holding this for us for 20 years, actually a little longer, and within a couple weeks, it's ours. Like, what a miracle, right? But some of us have forgotten what that adjacent property looked like. Let me give you a couple pictures of what it looked like. Now, here's the first piece. Now, if you look tightly into there, you can see a house in the trees. The tree, there, there was a house in there. It was wooded. It was all wooded. You drive by there today, and you say, wow, where are the woods? Where are the trees? Well, they were all scrub trees. I had an arborist come look at the trees, mark the trees. They're all scrub trees, so we're going to get rid of them. Look at this next picture. It's amazing. We started clearing it. The house is gone. Trees are disappearing. Here's another one. Begin all this. It starts looking like scorched earth because a lot of men and women, to save us tens of thousands of dollars, helped us clear that property. And now look at that. It's just like amazing. And here's the final picture, right? This was what God gave us so that we could build, right? This is not, like Pastor Brad said, and I say, we we couldn't have done this. Let me hit another. Let's go back to the other slide where I was. Uh, We had $1.4 million of debt. $1.4 million. That was putting an incredible drag on our ministry. Like you saw the picture in the video, I don't know if you saw this, but it was a little bit of me holding this boulder. And I said, it's like us walking around with a boulder with all this debt. Can you imagine doing that every day? Some of you are in debt and you know what that's like. Some of you know what it's like to have credit card debt or you're up to your eyeballs in other kind of debt and you're like, whoa, it's like walking around with a boulder. We needed to get rid of that. And you saw the news. We're down to $150,000. Amazing. Well, it goes back a little bit to a feasibility study in October of 2019. We had 15 people that were brought together that started saying, well, okay, we got this property or we're going to buy this property. What can we do with it? We did all our feasibility in buying the property, but now what can we really do with it? And so we hired an architect and we said, hey, 
look at this. We need an engineer to start exploring. And this feasibility study was done that said what we could do with this property. And the plan had always been to uh, expand our facility. Some people are saying, are we going to tear this one down? No, we're not going to tear this one down. We're going to expand. Now, next week, I'm going to go into more detail of where God has been leading us and the steps. But let me just say, we cannot go forward as a body at Fox Valley Church because we rely on the membership. So if we go forward to build phase two, that will require a vote. In fact, there will probably be a couple votes because we always want to work tight with the body and what we're doing. So our elders and myself, we're not going to launch off. It will be full of communication and we'll have information meetings where everybody can attend, but then the members will vote. Well, you'll see there on the church assessment in 2021, not even two years ago, a church assessment is not a survey. We were not asking people's opinion about like what color walls should we have what direction should we go we weren't doing any of that what we wanted to know was what were you thinking and here's three things this body was thinking about 18 months ago the first one was we got to get rid of the debt now, that's not me just saying hey we got to get rid of the debt this is the body overwhelmingly telling us and the participation in this assessment it had never been higher at Fox Valley Church. We had done it before. But then the people that we hired an outside group to do it, and when they read this, they could not believe the level of participation, the energy of what was going on at Fox Valley Church. And the body was saying, get rid of this debt. Secondly, they said, let's get a building that will set us up for the future. Overwhelmingly, this is not me saying, hey, let's do this. This was a body coming back and saying, we need facilities that would better serve us in worship, better serve our children, and better serve our students, and then have outreach into the community. Or as I like to say, reach into the community first, because they don't have a voice, and then let's take care of ourselves. Thirdly, and this is, I know you're going to have to take this by faith, but it's written down, it's documented in this assessment. The body said, unleash us. We want to serve. We want to be used by Jesus Christ. We want to use our time, treasures, and talents for his purposes and his plans. I was stunned at the numbers of people that said, unleash us. All of that is in there and this is what was driving light for the future well this prop up here now if you squint you're going to read where those you, you know squint at that and it says god loves you no it doesn't i'm just kidding i don't know why i said that so when you when you when you look at this this was all the people that were making commitments and so what this is, is a picture, a diagram, a showing of all the people that were making commitments to light for the future. And of course, you can see that there's some places where there's still some options, right? But I got to say something about giving at Fox Valley Church. We hold strongly to generous, free will, glad giving. Generous means everything we have is God's anyways. Let's be generous. Why? Because he's generous. I'm thinking of what Jesus preached. Our Father causes the rain to fall on the good and the evil. He just blesses people. We should bless people. But secondly, glad, right? Not only that it's generous, but it's from a heart. That's the verse here, cheerful giving, right? If you can't give cheerfully, 
at Fox Valley Church, we want you to not give. You heard that correctly. If It's an issue between you and God. It's, it has nothing to do with what we're doing at Fox Valley Church. I was told that someone had left Fox Valley Church because we were doing Light for the Future. I'm pleading with you, don't leave Fox Valley Church over Light for the Future. Let God work in your life and feel free. It's between you and God, and that's fine. We're all comfortable with it. And free will, of course, giving is that it's between you and God and not Fox Valley Church. Well, let me say from the beginning... From the beginning, we said our goal was debt elimination, phase one, and any money would go to phase two, any additional money. Well, you can see we're down to 150000 and money keeps coming in. All that money is going to go to phase two, which is the expansion of facilities that I'll talk about next week. And next week, by the way, we're going to do texting. So bring your cell phone, and you can text in questions, and we'll engage as a body. But I want to close with this this morning, this commitment card. In front of you, in the chair pockets in front of you, uh, there's a commitment card. And some of you have already filled one of these out, but I want to just give everybody an opportunity uh, to pray about it. You're not going to do it today. We're just asking you to take it home with you. But please grab it out of the chair seat in front of you, uh, just so we're all on the same page. Uh, if you're new to the church and you'd like to participate, we, we just want to invite you in. We're excited about what God's doing and where God has taken us, and we wouldn't want you to miss out on what God's doing at Fox Valley Church. It's a privilege and it's a joy, but it's between you and the Lord. There's no pressure. We're not pressuring anybody. We're just inviting everybody in. You're not, if uh, you do not participate previously, but now feel led so. So maybe you've been part of Fox Valley and you're like, I'm going to get us over this last bit of mountain and I'm going to push us into phase two, setting us up for phase two. The third circle there is you made a previous commitment but would like to increase the giving, right? There's things like that that you may want to do. Uh, remember that it's above and beyond any of uh, normal giving and Maybe God has blessed you in other ways. So this is where we're going. We're going to go deeper into it next week. And so I want to encourage you, hang in here for life for the future. You can see amazing things are happening. I just want to say, not just amazing things, miraculous things. God is changing hearts as we give. It is so beautiful. Well, hey, I've gone a little longer than anyone planned on me going, even myself. <laughs> so I'm going to invite you to stand, and I just want to pray as we close out our service this morning. Father, you are so good to us, and you've demonstrated your goodness. The only reason we could eliminate so much debt is because you gave us something to give. But not only did you give us something to give, you changed our hearts to release it. And so God, as we think about the future of Fox Valley Church, we're excited because we want to see people come to know our Savior. We want to see people that are hungry and people that are afflicted. We want to see them know Jesus Christ. We want to be about our mission of telling and showing the story of Jesus. So God, by your grace, help us to do that. And now as we leave, I just pray a blessing on everyone here. Let them leave feeling loved by you, knowing they're loved by you. Let them leave encouraged, and may they leave, Father, believing that you have even more for them than they could even imagine. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.